Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today on the show, I'm joined with Ben Sorensen, all the way from down under in Australia. He's a comedian and a voiceover actor, and he's also got autism. So this is going to be one funny and interesting show. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll catch you on the other side. Welcome to another episode of Inside Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with Ben Sorensen, all the way from down under Australia. Welcome to the show, Ben. Uh, it is an absolute pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, if you're watching, uh, are we sharing the video or are we just I'll share the audio? You. I'll, no, I'll no, give- no. I'm, I'm just saying that if people are watching the video, you can see... Uh, a disproportionate amount of sun on one side of my face because it is very early in the morning for me here uh, and late at night for you there. Well, it's about 4.30 in here. Well, okay, maybe not so late. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's it's an absolute pleasure to be here, and I think it's really wonderful what you're doing, Reid. Thank um, you very much. Creating a space that... Um, people with Asperger's and autism can openly share and talk and, and provide hints and tips to each other um, all across the globe. Such an important thing. Yes, it is. I mean, I've gotten so many people who've all, who have talked to throughout all my shows have said, I've done a wonderful job. It's an honor talking to me and that I'm doing such a great thing for the community and such and such. I mean, and that's why it's so important because the community itself is huge, but people in different countries see it differently, view it differently, but mm. it's still under the ASD flag where we're still not treated as equals a lot of times. Now, and I think it's also really challenging because um, like I watched a uh, television ad uh, last night, because they're launching in Australia, they've got a a, a, a a disability website for disabled people to go to to you know learn about uh, not so, learn about the uh, COVID response stuff. Uh, and I looked at the ad and I went, "Oh, okay, cool. Um, nothing against people with a visual disability." Mm-hmm. But everything seems with the neurotypical world and non-disabled people, they tend to go, oh, okay, well, we're going to include disabled people. Let's pick a visually disabled one and teach people that way that only visible disabilities count, you know. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a whole gamut of other disabilities mm-hmm. um, that people deal with daily, and ASD is one of them, um, and it, it's – it's still very, very difficult, as as I'm sure it is for you, Reid, when you go out and you go, oh, look, I'm, I've got some, you know, sensory issues. It's like going, oh, you know, um, you know, I don't eat gluten. Okay, well, are you celiac or do you just not like gluten? Um, you know, 
And I find that having autism, I get, I get that a lot. Oh, are you really autistic? You don't look autistic. What does an autistic person look like? You know, what does an autistic person sound yeah. like? I mean, that's one of the big things is the stereotyping of autism. I mean, people don't realize when they say something, it, it comes across rude to us. Like you said, you don't look autism. That's one of the biggest things people say that comes across rude. So then, so then as a, uh, as a white guy, I liken that. Uh, and I go, I, it's, it's really hard for us. Uh, look, it's hard for us when people say that and they don't see, understand or acknowledge who we are and how we work. Uh, but then I go, oh, geez, I'm really angry with that. And then I go, hang on, is this how people of color have felt for years? Is this how women have felt for years as a white guy? Us not intending to be massively rude, but that's the journey that's uh, societally we drop the ball Mm-hmm. So how much do we need to learn and unlearn? So that provides me with a lot of empathy going, Hey, I know I've, I've um, on my learning journey to be a more inclusive, aware human have also made mistakes that I don't make now. And I am probably still making mistakes that I hope to not make in the future. So that, that provides me with some empathy there. Um, but then I also understand it's very tiring to educate everyone in your world yes. constantly, uh, yeah. which again is not unique to having a non-visible disability. It's um, again, another problem with how our society is built. Yeah, I totally understand that. I mean, as someone like you with autism, it's hard to be accepted in society, no matter where you are, what country you're from, because people just view you differently. And then you deal with either the imposter syndrome, like you said, you don't look mm-hmm. autistic. And then there's the other side of it. People just treating you like trash and, think, and being toxic towards you because they don't, they don't understand it. Yeah. And this is, and that's, and that's the other really, interesting thing. I mask very, very well. I make a living out of masking. Um, and the really, the hardest thing in my head is when people go, Oh, you don't need to mask around me. It's fine. Just be yourself. And you go, no, 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 no. When you say be yourself, you mean hardcore mask because, uh, you're what you think you want is not actually what you want. There's a disconnect between those two things. Um, and when we talk about or see, you know, um, a lot of uh, education for autistic people, mm-hmm. how much of that is how to suppress or uh, mask for the benefit of everyone else around you to make them comfortable as opposed to what's making you comfortable in your own head, thus helping you, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you see a lot of programs out there that go, Oh, look, he's, you know, we can make your autistic kid normal, uh, or more normal as opposed to 
we can make <laughs> your autistic kid happier, healthier. I mean, yeah, I mean, we have an organization here called um, Autism Speaks. And the entire community hates them because they're on the mission. They're on the belief of, oh, we want to cure it. Mm. And yet they have nobody in their organization that's on the spectrum. Uh, I've been uh, part of a few charities here and organizations in Australia. And I think there's that one. I can't remember who said it. It's not me. But there was someone that uh, had this quote. They said, if you're. Uh, if you're on the board of an organization for a particular cause and you're looking around the room and you can't see anybody who's, who's, who is your cause, then you're in the wrong boardroom. Mm. You know, you're in the wrong organization. And, you know, we talk about that with, uh, in Australia with our, uh, very proud first nations people, um, with, uh, you know, the uh, gender mix and everything like that as well. And you go, well, representation matters. And that representation helps us, helps all of us to understand, to have empathy, to grow, to make better decisions, to have different points of view that come together to asking better questions and thus getting better answers. And that's such an important thing. And I think when we talk about um, autism, yeah, there's a whole heap of problems that you and I both have experienced in our world. But the journey of fixing, not fixing, but the journey of um, moving towards a more inclusive society, which is uh, better ultimately for autistic people, also benefits everybody else in the society too. You know, it's about providing a lot of that, uh, that acceptance to go, hey, you just do you. What, what makes you work best? Okay, well, you like to work in the dark because you got light issues. Great. You prefer to work in the morning as opposed to the afternoon. Great, good for you. You know, whatever, doesn't matter. We're going to accept it, and I acknowledge that that works best for you. But that, like I said, there's a lot of neurologically typical people that would like to uh, be able to work that way as well. And I think when we look at that, and if we enable people to have that responsibility and that power to go, hey, I think this works best for me, we start to... Uh, reduce the wear and tear that society puts on us generally, which increases our capacity as a society for kindness. So if you're running on empty, it's really hard to have capacity to be kind. But if some of those little things in your world are taken care of, and this is how you prefer to work or how you work better, or neurologically typical people, there is a larger capacity for kindness. Mm -hmm. And when we have capacity for kindness, we start to see more acceptance, more change, more patience, and more time to go on that learning journey to understand. Anyway, that's just my two cents. Okay. Anyways, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, so I was diagnosed with ASD quite late in the game. 
Um, and I, th- I think it was only like uh, seven years ago, five, seven years ago. But I always knew I was different. Uh, thank, thankfully, I was a little bit smarter than the average bear. So all my life I've been, I've known that I'm different and I've known that I've had struggles with social situations and interacting with people and things like that. So I, I tried very hard early on to go, okay, well, this is how, this is how my world is. I've worked out everyone else's world is very different. So whether it's got a name or not, I've got to find a way to communicate with whatever I've got with the outside world in a way that they can understand. So mm-hmm. I went on that journey. I can remember being in you know, primary school when I was very young, trying to massage that and work through that and understand it. And then uh, I worked out that I could hyper-focus on things, mm-hmm. uh, which is our special area of interest, which can which is delight, delightfully challenging at times um but i chose when i was younger to make my special area of interest my weakest skill so i put a lot of energy into trying to make communication and social skills my special area of interest in the theory that it would come up to kind of normal um and you know what i i mask very well but I tell you what, I need, I need a lot of downtime and a lot of naps. <laughs> um, yeah, well, go on. Yeah, so that's so that's essentially me. But as far as work goes, because it's my special area of interest, uh, I ended up doing um, you know TV voiceovers and uh, a lot of you know theatre and hosting work, um, and that's that's basically what I do now. I call myself a solid D grade personality. Um, and it's really nice. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of dance monkey dance, mm-hmm. um, but it's also really nice to be able to go and stand on a stage and do your thing in front of a whole, whole room of neurologically typical people. And they go, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, that's a, that's a, a really nice acceptance thing. And also like some of the uh, autistic characters, we are able to, um, with every person that we get in front of, provide them with a fun and positive experience to remap what they think an autistic person is capable of, what they think is autism, you know? I mean, we have a love-hate relationship within the community, or I find anyway, with Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang. Mm -hmm. As a uh, very extreme stereotypical, or what what, uh, one would see as a stereotypical uh, autistic person. And part of me really likes the character of Sheldon Cooper with his authenticity, but the design of the character um, is an exaggerated version in a lot of cases of uh, what many of us experiences as our ASD. And 
I question, is that the stepping stone that the neurologically typical world need to understand the broad picture before they delve into, into nuance? You know, so I find that I find that a really, a really fascinating case study um, because a lot of people do uh, really love Sheldon for all his weird quirks. And I go, what if we could love everybody like that and just allow people to be authentically who they are? So my, my journey and my, my work at the moment is being me, being a personality and being going to events and sharing my witty sense of humor and sharing, you know, all, all of those things to encourage, um, well, obviously income for me because, you know, Benny likes to be fed, but uh, to encourage a, a, an honest conversation about autism. And I think that's a really, that's a really positive thing. And I'm, I'm busting a little backside to do that because I'm sick of negative masking. Yes, I mean, one of the things I can tell you I am against, and a lot of people kind of agree with this, is I'm against masking. Because I feel, why should we have to hide who we are? I mean, totally agree. It, I mean, because 100%. why should we go out into the world, put all our energy in hiding who we are, and come home exhausted? You are 150% correct. However, what I have found, and... um I at no point say that what I'm doing is an, an end point or sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely not. However, I've, I discovered that, and I don't know what, I don't know what the answer of the balance is, but you're right. We shouldn't have to go out and mask. We should be able to be authentically ourselves, whatever that is. And I think some people mask so much, me included, that you go, what is my authentic self? You know, you lose track of who you are totally lose track of it and um that's when those burnout resets come in where you're so burnt out and you just pull away from absolutely everything and regroup you know but we shouldn't Mm -hmm. have to get to that stage however how does one interact in the world in a way that the world doesn't want to be part of so that's that's the challenge for me. I agree that we shouldn't have to mask because it's a total waste of energy and it's totally performative. But then how do we, how do we, how do we survive? You know, I, I, my, look, I look at the social networks of my peers mm-hmm. that are neurologically typical and they are much deeper, much wider, and they have much more, many more advantages because of that and how our society is set up. So um, if I didn't mask or even partially mask, then I would be disadvantaged financially through work opportunities and personal opportunities at the moment. Like it's getting better and I found a, uh, a way that I could sneakily mask a little less for work which is nice, that affords me the ability to be quirky or eccentric or different. But I also acknowledge that I'm a straight white male doing that and I'm already at the top of the privilege tree. So that does make my world a little bit easier. But 
you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have an answer to that, but I think you're a hundred percent correct. Um, we shouldn't have to mask. We should be able to be our authentic self. Now, what artistic, what artistic traits have you noticed that you've had that made you realize that you were a little bit different than the rest? Um, my autism has like a little core of, of, um, traits that kind of are regularly there, but then I've also got some fringe traits that are delightfully inconsistent and change and have changed over time. And, uh, and I think part of that, um, might be due to, uh, the excessive masking that I've done in periods of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, with ticks, um, when you ticks and twitches yeah and yeah so when you're so when you're out you try and suppress them and you have spent a lot of energy doing that it's and then gone. when you when you get home you'll you know you'll you'll like twitch and let them out of the box um so look the 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 um the twitching there's also um you know, I, I really, really struggle to sleep. Mm, same uh, here. I, I, it's really hard. I really struggle, and especially when situations like the past few weeks have presented, we, our dog had wound up getting sick. She wound up being diagnosed with diabetes. She's got Cushing's and then pancreatitis, wow. and then she passed away this morning. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thanks. So last night or this morning, actually, she had passed and I knew something was wrong and I couldn't sleep, but I can't sleep, period, no matter what's going on. And I've tried everything in that I know of to help music, um, reading. Yeah. The problem is my mind shuts off at a certain time. Yep. So... Because of that, I can't read. So I can't focus on the book. Yep. Music just keeps my mind at awake. Yeah. Whether what about audio books? Have you tried audio books? I should try audio books because my father Cause, used to listen to audio books and he would, he would yeah. fall asleep to them. Uh, that, that might, might and, the, and this is the thing, I think a lot of autistic people that I've met have all had sleep problems mm-hmm. and their solution to... Uh, not solution, but their their way of easing some of those problems sometimes uh, is very different from person to person. Um, sleep's been a big deal for me. I read a piece of research saying that the autistic brain, and I, and I wish I could find it, um, the autistic brain produces uh, less melatonin, making it a little more challenging to fall asleep and stay asleep. So. Yeah. With in consultation with my doctor, um, I've not every night, but I I try to supplement with with melatonin to sort of make that a little bit easier. And I've found I feel uh, I sleep better uh, overall. I sleep a little bit better, but then if I have a bad day or I have a confusing social situation my head's just going to go crazy. I go, I'm just not going to sleep. 
because you're yeah. going to go over and over and over and try and try and assess that. Um, I've also tried, there are people out there called um, uh, sleep specialists, sleep, sleep therapists. Uh, I had a, uh, one of my psychologists was a psychologist and a sleep scientist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really, really helpful in identifying uh, when is a good sleep time what good sleep rituals can we develop? However, the fun part is that takes a long time of you doing a little bit, uh, uh, making a little change consistently over a long period of time, which I don't know if you're like me, but that's not a massive strong point for me. No, it's not. (laughs) I'd rather go, I'm motivated, let's do it now so I never have to do it again. (laughs) Yeah, I tried something called, there's this website called Sleepio. Oh, and yeah. a, huh? Mm-hmm. And basically it's a whole sleep thing and whole regiment you follow. I could <laughs> not do it. So here's what here's what I found. Um I I firmly believe and I have a lot of hope. This is um I suppose this is almost like religion, really. I believe and I have a lot of hope that a lot of the uh websites or pre-built programs will work. However, a lot of those programs are built for the uh, largest percentage of humans, which is how they work. Um, And we are not part of that percentage. And it frustrates me very much that um, it's, it's like sometimes they'll work, sometimes they won't, but I, I have grown to accept that they, are probably not built for neurologically diverse people. Um, you know, I had, I've had a few things in my life where I've gone, okay, well, I've bought this book and I've read that and I'm doing this and I've done that and it's still not working. Why? Well, that's because it's not really made for how your brain works and you're putting two and two together and getting seven. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I've found that slightly works for me, it doesn't knock me out, but it lulls me into a sleep. I've been using CBD. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's I found, probably a lot. Che- it's a lot cheaper where you are. Yeah, it's probably a fortune out there. I bet. Uh, yeah, it is. So um, to see, we have to see a special doctor that will prescribe it. I think that's similar to the states from my a limited time years ago in um, Santa Monica. No, for CBD, you can buy it. You can buy it anywhere. Oh, okay, cool. So might, we can't. It's licensed here, so it's it's heavily regulated. So to get CBD, I have to go to a special doctor. The doctor, uh, doctor that I went to is um, was like two hundred dollars for the ten minute session, and then the CBD oil for uh, enough for the month. No, we we don't we don't have edibles here, you don't. so we just get we just get oil in a in a jar. Uh, with a syringe and you pop it under your tongue. Yep. Uh, I mean, you can you can turn that into edibles, but it's not like we can go in and just buy them because um, that no. would be amazing. I would love that. Um, but a month's supply of this or about a month's supply of the oil, it's um, uh, $350. Ouch. For, um, you know, for a, a thing. And each, each day you're taking... 
or up to what is it, half half a mil or you know whatever. So it's really not much at all. Well, I use so it's so it's an expensive thing. But this is also what I found dealing with autism. It really helps if you're rich because a lot of the things, a lot of our uh, self-soothing things or lifestyle things you can fix by throwing cash at it. It's just not everyone has that. Nope. But yeah, can continue with your um, CBD story. Yeah. I have, I've tried several different, I've tried gummies. I've tried tinnitures. The tinnitures, the oil works better because it goes right into your system. The gummies take a little longer. I came across a company called pros, which makes performance CBD and they have one for sleep and it's a spray you spray it six times under your tongue but it's not a sedation but it's more it lulls you into sleep because it's got other things besides cbd in it like magnesium and a whole bunch of other things that help with sleep yeah wow that's a that's a great idea if you can order stuff online i can give you that website yeah that'd be um that'd be great that's really helpful um, yeah, uh, I don't know how, if we'd be allowed to bring it in or not. And that's, that's the other frustrating thing. You know, you've got, we find something that works for us and then you go, oh, that's right. Uh, there's government red tape that doesn't want me to have that, you know, um, or it's really challenging to get and you spend a lot of your time, energy, just like you have. You mm-hmm. A lot of time, energy, and effort trying to source these things and work out where to get them and how to use them and how it works. But yeah, sleep, sleep, huge, 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 huge problem in my world. Um, and thankfully, I've tried to, I've tried to engineer my world so that I can manage it, um, manage it a bit better. So knowing these things. So I'm self, uh, tech, you would consider me to be self-employed. So I don't have a job that I have to turn up to nine to five, which I think, which when I did was just death. It was so challenging. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, tell me about it. I have a friend who wants to work and I'm like, um, I understand you want to work, but you have ASD, you have ADHD. Yeah. And you're and you can't get medicine. He can't get medicine for his ADHD because he's got another condition that deals with the heart. He's got POTS. <gasps> oh, and his doctors are like, yeah, and his doctor's like, I'm sorry, we gotta take this away from you now. So now you have severe ADHD with no medicine. Yeah, wow. That's so he suffers and, and he can't focus long enough. And you know what? Some um if we had more understanding employers, we would have a better shot at being able to do things like that. And we would have a better shot at working nine to five. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we accepted that we're going to need some mental health days, we're going to need to leave early some days or work late some days or stay early or do all of these different things. Um, in order to make, uh, create the output that we would be paid for in a job. Uh, but a lot of places are uh, still stuck on that theory that you must turn up and be chained to a desk nine to five. Um, I think COVID helped a lot of that. 
again, not just for autistic people, but for everyone, because they had no choice but to work from home. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have gone, oh, it's not as scary as I thought. And a lot of managers who shouldn't. I find that um, in Western culture, we have a lot of people who are managers of people that are poorly qualified to be managers of people because it's a work progression. However, when you manage people, that is a totally different skill set. And it's not related to the work you're doing. Technically, yeah, great at managing the work. But managing the people is an additional skill set that requires training so that you can manage a team, a diverse team properly. And that's not just neurodiverse, that's just normal humans. You know, so I think around employment, there's a lot of challenges. So if you're an autistic person and employed, well done, take my hat off to you. Um, yeah, we need more companies out here that will hire autistics. Yeah. I mean, we only have two right now. Microsoft is one of the bigger ones that will that literally has a whole thing for those who are have autism. They have coaches and they have mm-hmm. this and that, and they even give you living quarters. Mm. But I think the other thing is they want those who are just autistic. Nothing more. Mm. And maybe, and that's not an end point. I think it's just the next step as boardroom, because boardrooms are very insular bubbles. You know, it's very challenging to bring new ideas in there because not only are they separated, and, and this is, again, this is unchecked capitalism. Um, what we what we see is a disconnect between the people earning the money and actually doing the coalface work and the people in the boardrooms. And then there is also that disparity between the people at the coalface earn proportionately less than those people in the boardroom, which again separates those two groups further. So in order to get a really what is obvious to us, a really, really logical, obvious um, way to operate a business better into that privilege and financial bubble in the boardroom Mm -hmm. takes a long, long time. And the first step that we may get is only autistic people because I don't want to deal with any of that other stuff, you know, and they have no concept that, Autism normally travels uh, with anxiety and depression or or autism and ADHD or and, 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 and. Yeah, there's a whole slew. No concept. No concept. Um, But allowing just autistic people in is a wonderful start to opening the doors and it's just really frustrating that it's so slow because, uh, again, being your authentic self, working to people's strengths, there's a lot of jobs that autistic people are just amazing at, Mm -hmm. you know? And most of the times in these workplaces, the problem isn't the actual work itself or doing the work. It's how how they expect you to do the work. So instead of going... I need X, go do it. It's I need X, 
but you're going to do it this way. You know, autistic people are very good at finding ways to achieve an outcome that works for their neurology. It may not make sense to anyone else. It doesn't have to. But I know there's uh, a few things that I do in my world that um, just work for my brain. And it just feels good and it's sustainable and it's low resistance for my brain. So that's how I do things. Um, and you would do them differently. And another person would do them differently. And it's just accepting that that's how we're going to do it. Um, so I think the problem comes down to not autistic people not being productive. I think we're very productive, particularly if we're interested and engaged, but more so the social side of how it's, how you have to do it. You have to do it this way. Yeah. yeah. But oh. yeah, it's a, I, th- I think a lot of these, a lot of these things are, uh, and I, I found that really challenging for a while until I could get my head around it. So a lot of things that happen in society, you go, yeah, it's kind of a step forward, but it's not really. And then I have to remind myself that it's not an end point. Neurologically typical people tend to, and society generally tend to move quite slowly with change or accepting anything that is not uh, specifically built for them. Okay. Says the white man. now how did you get into comedy um do you know what i actually sort of fell into it um i didn't think i was particularly funny at all until i realized that i if i tune my autistic brain into observational humor and crowd work which is largely based on my observational humor uh neurologically typical people find you quite funny and autistic people go ha He's saying what I'm thinking. <laughs> so it's, um, it's, been, it's been really an interesting journey. And I think that comedy's helped me to connect with people um, and to break down a lot of walls and also to help me uh, understand people and how they work by being able to watch them and then talk to them about it and then, uh, call them out on it and have a laugh and connect with people over that. Um, a lot of my humor is uh, uh, self deprecating. So, having a go at me <laughs> for my quirks and my different things. And I also think, while that doesn't always sound good, I think it is also empowering to go, do you know what? I tick, deal with it. Or, um, I like trains, deal with it or, you know, whatever. And I do like trains. They're really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, and I, and I think that I've, I've had audiences or people from the audience come up to me afterwards and go, I really like trains too, but I'm too embarrassed to say anything in front of my friends or, (laughs) or I, I, you know, I secretly watch Doctor Who because I really love it. Or I, you know, uh, I really enjoyed that because, you know, and it, what it, for whatever reason. And I think that it, the oppressive, and this is what's brought me to my um, my realization that if we look after autistic people or anyone that's under that uh, autism umbrella, it doesn't just help autistic people; it helps everyone. Um, and that's partly what my comedy has shown me 
and the hosting work and crowd work that I do has shown me that we can be in charge of our own space. We can consciously create safe spaces where a lot of those outside rules of society don't exist and we can just connect and have fun and accept, you know, and I'm, I, I put a lot of effort into my audiences as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of my regular shows, it's a process of weeding out people that uh, don't have those values. There was, um, when I first started, there was quite a few toxic, uh, toxic personalities in some of the audiences, and I still get them now, but it's not as big a deal because I've cultivated audiences uh, that like to come and see me, that know me. Uh, and, you know, we, we work together to, you know, either include those toxic personalities so they too can relax and be who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, because we no- I normally find that people with toxic personalities, that's a coping mechanism. You know, it's rarely who they are on the inside. It's a coping mechanism. It's performative. And being autistic, we know a lot about performative masks. So uh, in a lot of cases, we can, we can work through that. So, yeah, but com- comedy's been huge for me. It's been, it's been really wonderful. Um, and also, in order to be a comedian, you don't have to be neurodiverse. You just have to be insanely broken. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, instantly we can bond. I can bond with the community over that. Now, did you fall into voice acting or did you seek that out? Uh, Do you know what? I actually uh, actually fell into it. So I was, when I was a a kid, and again, to help with social skills, uh, I was uh, singing, of all things, in uh, choral groups and doing shows and all sorts of stuff like that because I found that, I was in a group of people. We had a framework. We knew exactly what we had to do. And most of those friendships I still have today. Um, and it was really handy for us to have a task, the singing, to focus on, which was a conduit for the relationship. So we had something in common to talk about, which was the project that we were doing. And that enabled me to break down some walls to enable me to have those friendships and to get through that awkward first bit um, to get to somewhere I'd never got before, which was, you know, a later stage friendship or a longer friendship. Um, and it's, you know, that, that was, that was really important. So I started singing uh, and I ended up doing, uh, having a crack at a couple of different things. And um, then someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, do you want to come and do um, this, the TV station Christmas carols? And I went, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll have a crack at that. Uh, and then from there, they went, do you want to come and do, you know, voiceovers for a TV show? I went, yeah, 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 cool. And then I ended up doing, you know, radio and voiceovers and everything like that. So I kind of, kind of fell into it, but I really, um, I really enjoy it. Uh, and it, and it, and it works for me. Uh, and it's a big part of my world. What is your most memorable experience so, to date? Um, 
Do you know what? My most memorable experience to date was uh, when I opened up my email and it was five, uh, five, six, six years ago, maybe. When I opened up my email and it was the report from the psychiatrist that diagnosed me. Mm-hmm. Incredibly memorable because the struggle or the thing that you think, yeah, maybe it's real, maybe it's not, maybe it's just me, maybe it's not. Even though you know and you've got your coping mechanisms, it's just really nice to see it on paper to have someone go, ah, it's, it's, I'm not crazy. It's a thing. It's real. That was, that was, that was really quite memorable. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that, that's important. I get a lot it was of people, for me. I get a lot of people that tell me that, that the minute they get diagnosed, it's like a light bulb just flicks on in their head and they're like, I'm not crazy. All these yeah. little, tr- these little things I do and all these new little nuances aren't, I'm doing for a reason. I'm not just doing them to do them. It's yep. because of my personality and because of my autism. Yeah, totally. And that made, um, that, that, that sort of took a, took a weight off. And that in itself was very helpful. So yeah, such an, such an important moment. And it took me forever to get there. Uh, because of you know the healthcare system and the struggle. So originally, in order to get an autism diagnosis, there would be uh, you would have in order to fill out the paperwork and to do go through the process to do all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would need to not be autistic in order to get to the point where they could diagnose you to be autistic. <laughs> so um, it sounds like a catch twenty two. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why I think I took so long getting there. Um, I had, uh, I had some wonderful support from the people around me to help me get there uh, and doing a lot of those things that I was challenged by, you know, and I, I genuinely hope that other people out there don't have those impediments and do have that support because it's uh it, it's really handy. And my logic in getting diagnosed was I'm doing okay now, but the best time to get diagnosed is not when you desperately need it. It's when you're doing well. Yeah. So that when you aren't doing well, you've got it there. All right. So yes, that was my, that was the most um, influential moment. For me. Right. Do you have any hypersensitivities like to smell, touch, taste, hearing? Um, I'm a, it's, it's funny. It, it varies based on the, res, my resilience. So if I'm, uh, I get to a point where I, I, well, I've got a couple of weeks coming up where I'm really, really busy. Uh, I know that I will have uh, some light sensitivity and mm-hmm. I definitely know I will have um sound sensitivity on the on those days. So I, I have mm-hmm. noise cancelling headphones I travel with. I've got my little in-ear thing. So I've got a whole I've got a process and a system to help. Um but as far as other stuff goes, I 
I'm a very textural eater. So hmm. I enjoy the texture of food. So um, when I have potato, uh, potato chips or crisps, um, I really enjoy them. And it's not so much for the salt and it's not so much for the flavor, but it's just the crunch. Um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of, um, you know, sli- slimy foods <laughs> as such. Uh, but you know, crunchy stuff's good. Um, I like the, you know, the, the texture of bread. I mean, when I was much younger and I didn't, didn't know I'd sit there and I'd eat a whole loaf of bread just because I like the texture, not because I was hungry, not for any other reason than just, I enjoyed the texture. So yeah, but uh, it's, but uh, but again, when I'm tired, it's almost like my brain rewires itself and works totally differently. Like I've got, infinitely less um, resilience for a lot of things. Some things will just irritate me. Like I might, someone will be, I'll cut an orange and I'll go, nah, can't do it today. That citrus smell is too much, mm. you know, or um, part of my self-soothing toolkit is, you know, essential oils and stuff. And and I've got a a little range of them because some days when I'm, really brain fried it'll be no i can't do smells at all just no no smells or other days it'll be really enjoying lavender love lavender there is nothing else in this universe other than lavender and then i'll wake up tomorrow and it'll be i can't stand lavender anymore um back in the days i used to have breakfast um i had uh i'd have yogurt and I'd have some nuts on it and a bit of peanut butter. And that's that's what I do. So I had that for years. And then one morning I woke up and I went, I never want to have that again. Wow. And I went, love this, love this. Give me, yeah, give me all of it all the time. Yay. Okay. No. Never want to touch it again. So um I'm I almost try to preemptively manage things that I enjoy that are new in my world, knowing that sometimes I may, one day I may wake up and just go, no, never want to touch it again. Never want to do that again. And it may come back later. Who knows? You know? So um, there was a stage where, because I find my, my autistic brain works better when I have uh, a, a lot of a high, a high, a clean, high protein diet. Mm-hmm. Um. Body, not not massively keen on that. Brain loves it. So uh, I had the stage where I went through eating a lot of jerky, and or, or biltong. I prefer to jerky, but um, eating a lot of that. So I, got, I it was on sale at the, the supermarket. So I've gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll buy heaps. So eat, 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 and then again, wake up one morning, go, never want to touch jerky again. I mean, I could, I can have it now, but it, it you know. And I, I will buy it from time to time, but that obsessive state, it goes full on. This is all I want to eat. And then, nope, don't want to do that at all. And can never tell. No idea. So, yeah, that's, I, I'd put that in the sensory category as well, going love, love, love. Nope, don't want it. All right. Interesting. And, that, and that, that's changed over time. 
<laughs> I think that changes for everyone as you start growing. There are things you would eat constantly. And then as you get older, it's like, I don't like that anymore. Mm. Or that texture is funny or this tastes funny now. I yep. mean, a good story about that is I never ate tomatoes until one day we were out and we went out to this restaurant and they gave us tomatoes covered in um, vinaigrette and oil and vinegar. And I took one. I'm like, oh, my God, this is good. But I will only yep, yep. eat like tomatoes if it's stewed or if they're covered in something or if they're cooked. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, when I was a kid, I used to be like that with eggs. I would, I was like, no, nah, don't like it. Don't like the texture of cooked egg at all. Don't like the flavor. Don't like the smell. Nothing. Don't like it. Whereas now I really quite enjoy eggs. Um, and it, it's, it's really funny how, how our brains interpret those things over, over time. Yeah. Now, would you say you have ADHD? Um, if you had asked me a couple of years ago, no. Um, but now I understand. And part of that was my own ignorance for not understanding what ADHD is properly. Um, and I still don't quite think I'm there. I'm still trying to work out this autism thing that I've got. Um, I, I would not say that I have ADHD, although I feel like that may, may be a, a possibility, but mm-hmm. also there's a lot of overlap um, between my autism and, and what would be considered sort of a, a low-level ADHD. Yeah, I mean, one of the big overlaps I noticed with ADHD and ASD is the hyper-focus. They both have hyper-focus and they both have creativity. So yeah. it's kind of hard to tell what you have if you are so creative and you're hyper-focused on something. Yeah. Um, and I feel like... Um, that's probably a an, another journey I'll have to go down when I have capacity. Um, I think there's, um, you know, look, and I think I would, I'll go down that a journey if whatever I'm doing at the time isn't quite working, if that makes sense. Cause I think the autism diagnosis for me is, uh, is enough to provide me with the work yeah, enough workarounds and understanding to do what I need to do. But yeah, but I think there's, uh, I think there's definitely um, an, uh, an ADHD element to my world. And if I look at the people that I get along with, they all have ADHD, which I think is a really good indicator <laughs> <laughs> that we're kind of on the same wavelength. Yeah. Now, how do you handle your autism on a daily, on a daily basis? Uh, I've engineered my entire world to provide me with the flexibility to do that. I've, it's taken me 30 years to manage and understand enough hacks and tricks to make it work. Um, so, for example, I try to... Um, I live and die by my calendar and my schedules, mm. not because I love schedules and really hate them, but 
I've automated so many systems in my life that the calendar helps other people, other people, organizations and software to book and manage my time. So I just open it and there's a lot of stuff I don't have to think about. Mm. So I've engineered my whole life to, uh, to minimize my energy investment in things that take a lot of energy for me to manage. And, um, and a lot of that's personal admin or paying bills or stuff like that. So everything's on, um, everything's automated. Um, I have thankfully now a really good management team and publicist and, um, you know, people like that, that, have access to my calendar and just book stuff in. Um, I've got systems so that if I have a busy week, I have to block out a, a sleep day or a where I just go, eye patch on, sleeping pill, headphones, that's it. Or I'll, you know, play my switch or whatever. I've yeah. developed uh, for the day-to-day because I, tra- I used to draw on pre-COVID, I travelled a lot. Um. I had a travel framework, so I have my travel bag, familiar things in it, stay in the same brand of hotel everywhere I go. I fly on the same airline everywhere um, because all the planes are the same, the systems are the same, you know, all the lounges are the same. So it's sameness. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I feel more comfortable when I'm traveling, even though that's a, normally a stressful time. So it's managing all of that. I'm also really fortunate that I've built my world around being self-employed. So do I have to turn up nine to five anywhere ever? Never, ever. So yesterday, got tired at about two, two in the afternoon, had a nap for half an hour, came back, did some more work till six, seven o'clock. You know, so part of that is tr- I'm, I'm trying to manage my autism by listening to my brain listening to my body as imperfect as it is to try and build those systems. So I have more resilience and I'm better able to contribute to society and to myself. Now, would you consider your autism a blessing or a curse? That's a, that's a tough one. Um, So, I I consider my autism to be a blessing until I have to deal with the rest of the world, <laughs> you know? And uh, my, uh, my therapist um, had this great line. She said that autism doesn't cause trauma, yet all autistic people have trauma. And that was really, really deep and really interesting for me because I go, if no one else is around me, my autism is amazing. You know, it, wor- it works for me. It means that I can, you know, punch through and do stuff that I'm interested in. I can hyper-focus on whatever I want. But then outside of that, when I have the rest of the world talking to me or the rest of the world doing things, uh, or I have to navigate a social situation or politicking or a hierarchy of some sort, you know, not so much of an advantage there. Mm-hmm. definitely more of a curse, but, you know, with actually doing stuff, brilliant. Love it. Do I want to be, uh, in the, you mentioned autism speaks, do I want to be cured? No. Fuck no. 
No, I don't think none of us want to be cured. Just um, like if you're offered a red pill or a green pill, one pill gets rid of your autism and one pill you stay the same. I choose to stay the same. Yeah, me too. Because we're, because we're unique. Yep. Yep. And I'm quite I'm quite happy with it. Um yeah. overall I would I would like uh but this is not just for autistic people. I would like the world to be more accepting and more understanding of everybody, not just autistic people. And I think that would be better for everyone. And I think that would also decrease a lot of societal stress. But then, you know, utopia is a cool idea. Yep. And lastly, what is your hyperfocus? Um, I've tried to... I think organically my hyper-focus is different to what I try to train my brain to do. So my, my, my process is normally avoid, 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 Herculean focused effort to do whatever I need to do. So um, I've, tried to, I've tried to manage my hyper-focus so that I can control it to a certain extent. So originally my hyper-focus was communication. Really, really interested in that. Uh, and I think at the moment my organic hyper-focus is um, in- inquisitive knowledge. I read um, a lot of research papers and I go down a lot of rabbit holes with questions that just pop into my head. You know, like can bees see in the dark? You know, do they fly at night? You know, the answer is no, they can't see in the dark and no, they don't fly at night. But, um, you know, just little things like that, which is why I, I, you know, some of the shows that I do are trivia shows because I just really enjoy those little nuggets of knowledge and that's that's my little hyper-focus thing. Yeah, yeah I, caught, I caught one of those on, on your website. One of the trivia shows you did with uh, via Zoom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that was really great during lockdown. I'd, uh, I did more Zoom calls than I care to remember. I would have um, loved to join some of those Zoom trivia shows. That would have been fun. Yeah. And um, the, hard, the hard part here in Australia is I, I would absolutely would have kept them going. Uh, but we all got to a stage collectively where we went, I don't really want to do another Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> And I've gone, I'm happy to do them, but I'm pleased you don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. Um, They are a lot of fun and they're really great. Um, One of the things that I'm really trying to do is to work out a way that I can do hybrid shows so I can have uh, the live audience and do a live show, but also have a online component as well for people who are overseas or in isolation or can't work, you know, can't come out or for whatever reason. Um, yeah, I've got the, I've got the gameplay stuff sorted, so that's fine. It's just working out the, um, uh, the video and communication stuff Mm -hmm. between live and, and that. Cause, uh, like I say to, most people, most problems can be solved if you throw money at it. Yep. But you've got to be acutely aware of the point of diminishing return. Yeah. Yeah. So money and autistic energy are very similar in that sense. (laughs) 
Anyway, that was Inside the Asperger Studios with Ben Thornton. Ben, thank you for being on the show. Look, it's an absolute pleasure. And it's also, uh, I feel like if you look back at all of the other interviews that I've done, this one's going to be very, uh, a little bit different. And uh, I want to thank you for that, read because I didn't feel performative at all. I was able to be more authentic, mm-hmm. mask less. Uh, and, uh, thank you for creating that space, not just for me, but for autistic people to, you know, understand more about each other. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the whole bottom line is making people feel comfortable. So thank you so much. Not a problem. the way things used to be I'm no big fan of now I must have some sweeter memories somewhere in the cloud to be gonna miss all you had consigned to the dustbins of history like opinions from your dead Talk to the freaks. You can talk to just about anybody you happen to meet. It ain't what it was, and it is what.